Hey everybody, welcome to the 23rd episode of the With Podcast. We took a couple weeks off as I was away on vacation with my wife and children, had a great time just being refreshed, but all the while uh, trying to do what we're again uh, doing today, try and wrap our head, heart, and hands around one simple act of living, one piece of being human, tackling this concept of with. With, of course, comes in lots of different forms, with God, with others, and with ourselves. Here we are, and before I get too far into it, I want to give a little context and a little background for our conversation today. First, the context. Over the last 10 plus years, uh, and again, I've been walking with Jesus for uh, since I was 18 years old, so it's been almost 21 years, uh, but for the last 10 or so years, I have really struggled with and succumbed to, in some ways, constantly giving myself over to it, but a belief system espoused by the phrase imago dei, made in the image of God. This pregnant phrase is not filled by notions of me being greater than. It's not to imply that I am special in comparison to anyone else, nor does it mean to propagate any notion of perfection regarding myself. Uh, Leading into this phrase, this theology, this way of thinking, initiated by the words imago dei, speaks to foundation, form, and function. To put it bluntly, this belief system situates me in relational submission to Father God. It also equips me with familial parallels that cause me to fit with King Jesus. And when I say familial parallels, I mean things like how my brothers walk like I do. How when Asa and Jude laugh, they have a similar cadence. When Zoe does some things, I can see Tanya in that. Um, And so I have familial parallels with King Jesus. Things like choosing to love constant and extending mercy, receiving sufficient grace on a day-to-day basis, accepting a giftedness and calling in and of myself, uh, the notion that I can be eternally creative despite circumstances surrounding me. These are the familial parallels that I find in Imago Dei, and there are more. Also, and finally, Imago Dei delivers to me a a frame of function. Simply put, that I am never to accept being put upon. I am not at the mercy of external things happening to me or internal narratives trying to shape me and have their way with me. Imago Dei means, functionally, I always have a choice. Being made in the image of God means I always have get to push back. I always have alternatives. I never have to just deal. The Apostle Paul says it like this in the 8th chapter of his letter to the church in Rome. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. How I read that And again, within the shadow of Imago Dei, whether I'm in famine or a lack of some sort, amidst sword or conflict in my life, again, maybe it's not military conflict, but maybe it's conflict in my relationship with my wife or my children or fill in the blank. Whether it's 
a flood like Noah had to deal with in actual terms or just the cultural riptides that want to pull me in one direction. Even death itself, Imago Dei stands and screams at the center of it all. There is available abundance and contentment. There is peace that passes understanding. There is always another way. And this reality, Imago Dei, makes death stingless, uh, makes it impotent by resurrection life. Not only when I pass from this life to the next, but more beautifully right here and right now, as I die to myself and give myself to the making new, God's Spirit consistently wants to do in me. All of that is just a little bit of context, Imago Dei. Now, uh, for some background. My dad and I have enjoyed a traversing relationship these last 39 plus years I've been on this planet, as sons and fathers are apt to do. Nothing out of the ordinary, I don't think. We've had our ups and downs, arguments and misunderstandings, lots of missing each other as passing generations pass from one to the next. And as an aside, it's amazing how fatherhood, the the experience of being a dad myself, has given me opportunity to shift gears, even apologize to my dad at some level. All of a sudden, I have been able to deeply appreciate things that he did and who he was and what he is and enjoy the present while also, in retrospect, enjoying the father-son relationship we had then and still continue to have now. Uh, Young people, if you're listening, take note. By and large, your parents are for you. I know it might not feel like it, and I know their rules can be constricting and frustrating, and yes, maybe they don't know what they're talking about, but they know that they love you. You would be well served. Long life is what the scriptures say, to honor them as they are your parents. But away from that aside, I am my father's son. I've always known that. And that has meant for me more than DNA, more than eye color, and more than just a similar last name. I've seen and I've watched my dad, what he did, and I've always wondered, quietly but constantly, if that which I observed in him resided in me. My dad's always had a love for words, a love for books, and always loved reading. I have, in recent years, folded myself into that. In the outset, it was very much a discipline, but I've come to discover something about myself. I I like to read. I like to discover and allow these words to shape and create things in me. It didn't, again, start out that way. Very much a discipline. When I was younger, I hated it. I abhorred it, and I avoided it. But now, I see something in myself. I have discovered something in myself that I saw in my dad. My dad has always loved classical music. Whenever I go visit him or whenever we would eat when I was younger or when he was working or preparing or doing, he was always listening to one of the greats, uh, the Brandenburg Concertos, Bach, uh, Beethoven, uh, Handel, uh, Resfigas, so many different, just it's so many more than I can think of. And I've tried to lean into it and some I have found appreciation for, others I find to be a bit overwhelming, uh, but it's something I'm continuously trying to maybe work into my life. Some years ago, I remembered my dad loved running, ever since I was born, really, um, that I can remember anyway. And I thought, maybe I like running. I tried it, and I hated it. I don't mind running from things, mind you. If somebody's chasing me, uh, running's my favorite thing. (laughs) But I'm talking about just going for a run, 
because you want to run. I had a conversation one day with my dad more recently, and I asked him, when did you start running? And I came to discover he didn't start running until he was in his 40s. I started running when I was in my 20s because I saw something in my dad and wondered if it also was in me. To this day, if I don't run for a couple of days, I don't get physically out of whack. I get emotionally all askew. Running has become a, a place of prayer and and just relief for me from the world, work, circumstances. It gives me a space to just live and breathe and, and worship. And so I run, not because I wanted to, but because I saw something in my dad. That's the background. One thing, one thing came almost naturally to me that my father did. It was enjoying the parkway, the Colonial Parkway. I grew up in a neighborhood just off of the parkway, and my friends and I would go down there. My dad would always run down there, sometimes drive down there and go for walks and just survey the nature and think and just escape. And I found myself doing the same thing. Like I said, my friends and I, when we were younger, would go down and play in the water and, and go out on their boat and canoe and do all kinds of things. Just explore the wildlife, tramp around the great wide wilderness of this road. <laughs> uh, I would learn photography on that road and take hundreds and thousands of pictures and the artistic part of me kind of came alive. It was a place that I would go and pray. Even when I didn't know I was praying, before I had a relationship with Jesus, I would go yell at God and be frustrated and kind of get some things off my chest. Later, I would take my wife there on dates and we would sit and look out at the water and just talk, get to know each other. She would get to know me. I would get to know her. It was even there that I took my wife the night that I proposed to her. It was a place that we had kind of developed a rhythm and a habit of escaping to and just being together. Now I take my kids out there. We ride our bikes. We have fun together. We go along the beach. And I'll be honest with you, there are more times than not I say, hey, we're going to the parkway, that they're like, oh, we'd rather do something else. I'm like, no, this is what we're doing. And we always have a good time just appreciating each other and, and spending time with one another. I go there by myself to run. I go there to ride my bike. And one time I was riding my bike, and having been out in the parkway now for 30-plus years, I know what the parkway has. I know where the plants are. I know where the rocks are. I know where these the inlets, and I know everything. I know every corner. But I was riding my bike, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw this thing. It was huge. It looked like a massive outlier of rocks. Uh, and so... I, it was kind of cutting in between the trees, and I kept riding my bike, and I kept looking back, and it's like, that rock is never, it's not a tree, that's definitely bigger than a tree, and then I looked again, I looked again, and all of a sudden I saw it move, and I realized, that thing's alive, that's not just a thing, that's a thing, <laughs> it was huge, I didn't know what it was, but it was huge, whatever it was. And then all of a sudden, I thought I saw a beak. I thought, my goodness, that is a bird of prey. My dad names things. He names all of the animals that he interacts with on the parkway. The geese are named Gregory and Gertrude. There's a llama named Llewellyn. Yeah, it's spelled with two L's, of course. There's Egbert the eagle and others as well. Dikua, which is cows in German, he would, and still to this day, stops to speak with in German, of course, because all kua, cows, speak German. You knew that, right? Anyway, I told my dad about this thing. 
I was like, hey, I was riding my bike and I saw and I described it to him and we talked about it. We laughed and he said, you know what? It sounds like a young eagle. I was like, okay, dad, whatever. Didn't sound right to me, but sure. One evening, mercifully, my dad and I were on a walk in the parkway. We finally saw this thing. We'd been on a couple of walks in the parkway and not seen it, but this time we saw the thing. And sure enough, as my dad pointed out, next to a couple of other probably more mature but smaller eagles, there were a few of them flying around in this little inlet. Glebe's gut is what it's called, actually. Again, more than likely, these were females. And then this eagle leapt off a branch, the thing, and clumsily flapped its majestic wings to prove its size and scope and indeed its specification. In an instant, it went from bumbling from that branch to soaring effortlessly into the clouds. In that quiet moment, we shared watching all of it unfold. My dad just said, yep, that's a young male eagle. I've seen the eagle a few times more as I've been out on the parkway. Not as much bumbling. He's doing a lot more sowing. Recently, I was on a bike ride praying, and when he burst out of some trees, I didn't know he was there. I saw him, this young eagle. I immediately thought of my dad and all the creatures he named, how this one needed a name. My, my dad should name him. To which I realized, if my dad can do it, I can do it. So I thought for a moment, and I yelled. As he's flying next to me, I coasted down the parkway. I yelled, August, fly, August, fly. <laughs> August doesn't start with an E, but it's an alliteration. It felt right to me. The notion of a young prince, August, an immature king came to mind. Uh, it just seemed right to me. The words of Jesus reverberated for me in that moment. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Also, Jesus' exhortive invitation of, follow me, echoed. These words that Jesus invites us with are given from a culture steeped in apprenticeship, making them mean so much more than just fall in line. This follow me of Jesus means more, I see that you can do what I can do. You can say what I say. Go ahead and believe, imagine, create as I have, as I do, and as I will. So I rode my bike that day along that road with the sun fading beneath the tree line, cars passing on their way to wherever they were going alongside a young eagle named August. And for some reason, with tears streaming down my face, doing what my dad did. Now, May you, in the way of our Christ, go, be with and for others, as God is for and with you.